0: Hi, I'm Dave Westberg, and you're listening to the Billboard Insider Podcast, where I interview industry leaders about trends impacting the U.S. out-of-home advertising business. This podcast is sponsored by Circle Graphics. Today's podcast guest is Richard Rothfelder, a partner in Rothfelder & Fahelik, a Texas law firm which specializes in out-of-home business transactions and litigation. Richard is a frequent presenter at conferences for the OAAA and the IBO USA. He is a regular contributor to Billboard Insider and he has been the co-author with Billboard Insider of Billboard Insider's Guide to Leases, Easements, and Real Estate, which is being released today. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. Great to have you. Richard, how did you first get involved in the out-of-home industry? Well, Dave, I started my
1: legal practice over 40 years ago in Houston with a large firm, Andrews Perth, and specialized from the beginning in business litigation, representing businesses and real property owners and lessees and disputes. I had a niche at that time also in employment litigation and covenants not to compete, and at that time, a client came to me, namely a general manager and a real estate manager of a local billboard company that had left despite a covenant not to compete and started up their own independent billboard company. They were sued for violations of the covenant not to compete, and despite our efforts to settle. We could not do so. That case went to trial, went through the appellate courts, and my clients won that case. Interestingly enough, that little billboard startup company got bought out just a few years later, but plaintiff employer that sued attempting to enforce the covenant not to compete is now my longest standing billboard client in the state. I still represent them 40 years later.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wow. Now, you have an interesting background. For an out-of-home attorney, you have been a mayor and a city council member. What has that experience as mayor and city council member taught you about effectively dealing with regulators?
1: Yes, I was the mayor and city council member of the city of Southside Place, a suburb of Houston for some 16 years, and I'm still to this day the city attorney for Southside and several other cities around Houston. So I am familiar with the strategies and practicalities of representing both sides, if you will, in litigation and negotiations with the government. And I will say, in with all due respect to my colleagues that are governmental attorneys and government regulators, that you have to remember that those government employees are not motivated by the same interests as our private business, Mm -hmm. namely profits and return on investment. Mm -hmm. Instead, they're usually interested in performing their duties right down the line and not thinking outside the box. So it's often frustrating when you're trying to negotiate or settle litigation that you think are going to save taxpayers' dollars and otherwise be good for the governmental entity, but they're not quite as motivated by those same generations of profit and return on investments that your private client is interested in.
0: Would you say, Richard, it's an incentives issue? If I am a permit staffer, I get probably no benefit. I get no bonus, if you will, if I bring in, for instance, a digital billboard lease or permit it that makes the city hundreds of thousands of dollars of fees. But I may become a lightning rod amongst the city council or the mayor or local community members. So if I'm a permit person, the way I mitigate my risk is just by saying no and by doing nothing. Exactly. Well said. There's little upside to thinking outside the box. You're a lot better from a
1: governmental employee standpoint than just pushing the paper
2: mm-hmm.
1: and doing your inspecting, moving along, and let somebody else take the risk from coming up with the next great idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: What are some out of home regulatory issues that you're following right now? Let me mention
1: my top five that we're looking at, and I'll start with the Tennessee case Tennessee versus Bright out of the Court of Appeals. That's the content basis litigation challenging the Tennessee Highway Beautification Act. We've got experience with that here in Texas, but mm-hmm. uh, we had a state court challenge, Osbro versus the state of Texas over the Texas Highway Beautification Act. That litigation went all the way up to the Texas Supreme Court, which denied hearing the dispute, however, because the the Texas legislature instead amended the Texas Highway Beautification Act purportedly to eliminate the content basis for distinguishing between what we used to call on-premise and called commercial signs and dependent upon whether a fee is paid for the privilege of displaying a message on the signs. I predict that the Tennessee legislature We'll try to find a similar fix to the content challenges to the Tennessee Highway Beautification Act and amend the Beautification Act in a similar fashion. Another matter that we're taking a look at is marijuana advertising on billboards. And and let me give a little bit of a plug here to my law partner, Mike Fallick, who will be speaking at the IBO conference in Louisville and making a presentation on May 14 on that very topic, namely CBD products, recreational and medical. Another matter that is pretty hot in billboard law is the acceptance of digital signs. We found that more and more cities are acceptance of the digital technology, finding that it indeed is more aesthetically pleasing more environmentally sensitive, more economic benefits than traditional static displays. So more cities are negotiating for um, permit and registration fees, allowing the conversion of static signs to digital. We certainly are going to see a lot of interest and potentially litigation on political advertising on billboards this year, as well as a presidential election year. And in fact, one that's controversial is going to generate a lot of money in billboard advertising. And last but not least, and unfortunately, this coronavirus has created issues in the billboard industry as well as, frankly, commerce in general. You are going to find a lot of issues arising in connection with performance of contractual obligations, delivery of services or goods, especially from overseas, and the implementation of force majeure contracts, provisions in leases or contracts for excusing performance under force majeure or acts of God. In this case, the coronavirus.
0: This is fascinating, Richard. So I've been reading some things that suggest, for instance, that in China, mass transit use is down 50, 50% plus, and there has been some noise among advertisers saying, you know, we're going to expect to give back because you are not delivering the impressions to us that we thought we were getting when we signed this ad contract. Can you explore a little bit the the legal issues, pro and con to that? If, I, if I'm an operator, is that a real, very real risk for me? Do many ad contracts have a force majeure out? Well, ad
1: contracts, ground
0: leases, purchases of
1: goods. And speaking of China, you can probably tell me, or certainly our listeners know more about this than I do, but I know when digital technology was first developed, that most of the digital screens came from China, mm-hmm. and a lot of them probably still do, and the orders to China for those types of goods and technology be interrupted, delayed, and maybe canceled because of the coronavirus, and there are likely to be force majeure clauses in those contracts to provide the goods or services based upon something that is beyond the control of the provider. Hmm. The same issues will arise in advertising contracts and even in ground leases. You can certainly see situations where the coronavirus would be offered as an excuse to not be able to perform. Those cases will have to be addressed on a situation-by-situation basis, but The readers would be well advised to check their force majeure provisions, their insurance coverage issues, and finally, they should be very conscious of situations where employees will want to work remotely, avoid potential contamination by coming to the office or traveling, certainly internationally, maybe even domestically, and the employer is going to have to be making reasonable determinations as how he can best protect his employees and operate his business at the same
0: time. Mm -hmm. Huge issues to be thinking about. Let's take a break here for a word from Rod Rackley, president of the out-home division at Circle Graphics. Thanks, Dave.
1: We're happy to sponsor this Billboard Insider podcast. I'm excited to be back at Circle Graphics and leading a team of really great people. We're on the move here at Circle. We acquired a highly regarded printer, MMT, last month. We're expanding our Burbank or iMagic operation, and we've recently invested several million dollars to upgrade our printer fleet with Flora digital presses capable of producing a 1448 in 20 minutes. Expect to hear a lot more from Circle Graphics. You know, it's true, we have an unfair advantage. We care more. And thanks to any customers out there that are listening, we really appreciate your business.
0: Richard, about... Three quarters, perhaps three quarters of all the billboard locations in this country have been con- built under billboard lease, where an out-home company gets a lease for the right to put up a sign on a location for a fixed period of time. What are the five most frequent mistakes you see out-of-home companies make when they write location leases to put up a billboard?
1: It is not recording the lease, or at least not recording a memorandum of the lease with the real property records, which in turn provides the world with notice that the billboard company has effectively encumbered that ground with his leasehold interest. That means when somebody else comes in and buys the property or somebody would purportedly even attempt to lease the property, they have notice that you have a billboard and it's encumbered by your lease, and the public is therefore on constructive notice of those terms and conditions that you've reserved in your lease. The second mistake that out-of-home companies make when they write their leases is in connection with renewal provisions and and that is to not have a renewal provision. Of course, typically, the billboard company might have a primary term of 5, 10, 20 years. The longer, the better, usually. But they also like to have a provision that gives them the right to renew, hopefully on similar terms after the expiration of that primary term. But related, I would say, is the third mistake I'd like to point out and related to renewal provisions is The situation that I've seen in many billboard leases where the companies attempt to probably overreach, including in their leases, a unilateral and perpetual right to renew. What I mean is, I've seen a lot of leases that give the billboard companies the sole right to renew the lease time after time on the original provisions by simply giving notice some 30, 60, 90 days before the primary term that they are going to renew, it doesn't give the landlord, by contrast, any opportunity to reject that renewal. And instead, the billboard companies have the extreme bargaining advantage in that type of a clause to effectively renew forever on those favorable primary terms. Now, that has been subject to a lot of litigation. I've handled a lot of it myself, and there's cases going both ways, but the out-of-home operator ought to be very cautious in attempting to secure one of those types of unilateral and perpetual renewal provisions.
0: I might point out, just because you can doesn't mean you should. You will create such ill will if you're viewed as sneaking something in, you have to look out for your interests. But if you are too one-sided or you sneak a provision in like this, you'll create such ill will. And trust me, I get calls from people that feel like someone has taken them to the cleaners and and maybe it's a child or a grandchild of someone who did the lease and you've made an enemy for life. And they talk, they tell people, and clearly you're, you're out for your own interests, but you need to have some sense of uh, reciprocity. You can't just because you can doesn't mean you should, is sort of my my approach to engendering goodwill from your landlords.
1: Right. Well said. The next mistake I see, billboards in the ground lease, it's usually included by the operator as reserving his right to remove the sign upon the expiration or termination of the lease. But for some reason, the old forms had included a provision that went on to say that the parties agree that the billboard is the personal property of the lessee and can be removed on the expiration or termination of the lease. That characterization of the billboard as personalty or realty is unnecessary to reserve the right to remove the sign. And it certainly creates a lot of confusion for other purposes like condemnation, condemnation. And taxation. Hmm. The last provision that I'd criticize is the commencement versus effective date of the lease. More specifically, I would include in a ground lease that it is effective upon execution of the lease by the authorized parties. For the landlord and tenant.
0: Why is that?
1: Well, because you want to have, upon execution of the lease, the landlord bound, hmm. but you don't want to be obligated to start paying your ground rent until the governmental permits have been issued and the sign has been constructed. Hmm. So, have two separate provisions that recognize those two different times operate and make money off of it. Have a nominal exchange of consideration upon the execution of the agreement, say, 100 to $500. But once again, don't obligate yourself to make those more <laughs> rental payments until you've actually received the governmental permits and commenced operations. Mm-hmm. Those are five problems. There's a laundry list of others, but those are the top five lists.
0: Okay. I would add a couple more from a business standpoint that I see again and again. One is rent too high. If rent starts out too high, it will never get... It's, it's like pulling teeth to fix a bad lease. It's impossible. If you inherit a lease with rent too high, you will be the bad guy and someone will, will view you forever as the bad guy just because you tried to get the lease to market. My second comment is having too high of an annual inflator in a lease. You know, inflation's been a percent and a half a year for the last 10 years. And I see leases with 5% a year price inflators. And that is basically saying the lease is growing three times as fast as inflation. And the margin on that sign's going down every year. The final issue, I would say from a business standpoint, is removal clause needs to say at termination of the lease, You can remove the structure to grade because if you're out in some farmer's cornfield and it's bad ground and you've had to pour hundreds of yards of cement, taking that out of a cornfield and disposing of all the cement you poured underground, going through the guy's cornfield in the middle of a harvest season, all that damage and taking out all of the cement will be, in many cases, be as costly as the original construction of the sign. So three kind of business points I would add add to what you're saying, your legal points, Richard. Now, Richard, explain for our listeners what an out-of-home easement is.
1: Right. Another interest in real property that is often used to host or maintain a billboard, along with leases and purchase of real estate. In between the lease and purchase of the fee simple title as the type of interest for hosting or maintaining a billboard that provides the most security to the operator, more specifically, an easement is a non-cancelable perpetual property. It typically provides for the payment and purchase of that easement interest in the real property upfront as opposed to periodically as in a lease. There's no renewal rights. It's perpetual. There's no cancellation provisions because it is a perpetual purchase of an interest in real property.
0: So what are some of the pros and cons? You've talked about a few of them, but talk about some of the pros and cons of an easement versus a lease. It's a permanent purchase of
1: rights as opposed to a term, So there's no renewal provisions. There's no cancellation possibilities. There's, frankly, no dealings with the landlord. He's often your neighbor. He is also an interest owner in the same property, but you have little, if any, dealings with him thereafter. Uh, The rights in an easement are much broader, much more secure than a lease. You're not only acquiring the right to operate your billboard. But typically, when you purchase the easement, you also purchase rights of access, guaranteeing visibility, rights to utilities, as well as that footprint where you operate the billboard itself. Now, of course, the easement is more expensive than the lease. Again, because you're acquiring many more rights and interests in the real property. You know better than I do, but I usually hear that an easement and an upfront cost is typically 10 times the amount that one might pay in annual ground rent, for example.
0: Yes, easily, easily that much. And from a business point of view, the way I view it is, you're putting upfront capital put up, up. You're, you're spending 10 times. It's like doing an acquisition, buying a billboard company. Your return from a new build, if I can double or triple my money by putting up a static billboard, if I can get a 25%, 20, 25% a year return on capital by a digital billboard, I'm, if I'm buying an easement at 10 times multiple, I'm getting a 10% a year return. So the return is a little bit lower than other forms of capital. However, it's risk-free. That's the way I view it is. It is a risk-free return. I will get, I've lowered my fixed costs forever regardless of what the economy does. So an easement maybe ought to have a lower investment hurdle rate than maybe a more speculative project that's dependent on revenues that can go up and down. How, Richard, can a company's lease or easement rights be extinguished?
1: Yeah, let's talk about three things. The biggest issue and problem is a tax foreclosure, where the fee owner, typically the party that you purchased your easement from, has gone delinquent and, indeed, into foreclosure. The government's foreclosure on that fee simple title will usually extinguish those junior interests, including leases and easements. Mm -hmm. The way to try to avoid that catastrophic result is to include a right of redemption. This Right of redemption gives the junior interest owner of an e- easement or lease a right to receive notice of any tax foreclosure and to step into the shoes of that fee, simple owner, pay those taxes, buy the property, avoid foreclosure.
0: Mm-hmm. In many cases, the taxes involved will be well less than the value of the property itself.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now,
1: a related but different situation is a bank or debt foreclosure. Depending upon when the debt, typically a mortgage, was entered into between the fee simple owner and his lender. Specifically, if you are the owner of an easement or a lease, which in turn was executed before the owner of the ground entered into a mortgage, and then he became delinquent, defaulted, and his mortgage was foreclosed upon by his bank or other lender. Well, your easement or lease executed prior to his mortgage survives that foreclosure and the party that purchases the property in foreclosure takes subject to the continuation of your easement or your lease. But conversely, the situation is the same. If the mortgage was executed before, you in turn executed your lease, and then the fee simple owner became delinquent and eventually went into foreclosure of that Pre existing mortgage, the foreclosure sale will wipe out your lease or your easement executed subsequently to that mortgage. Again, there's a remedy to this, and that's a subordination and entornment agreement. Specifically, you ought to do some title research before you enter into a lease or easement in any event. But if you find out that when you're executing your lease or easement that it is already encumbered by a loan that has been made to the fee owner, you ought to try to secure a right to subordinate and torn to the rights of that pre-existing lender. In other words, if the fee owner becomes delinquent and subject to foreclosure, you have a right to step in his shoes and pay off that indebtedness, acquire the property yourself and avoid the foreclosure and the termination of your easement or lease under those situations. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to mention is something that comes up a lot, and that is a purchaser of property oftentimes will simply contend that He has bought not only the land, but also the billboard. That is almost always a losing proposition. The billboard company instead will prevail, especially if he has recorded his lease. Typically, every perpetual easement is recorded, so the world has notice, And that potential purchaser of the property is going to know that the billboard is owned by you and that it's encumbered by a lease or an easement, certainly you want to have in your lease the right and obligation that it continues after any purchase that any purchasers subject to and that any notice of sale must be given to the lessee on a timely
0: basis. Richard, can a bankruptcy trustee extinguish a lease or an easement?
1: Well, the same types of issues that we just discussed on debt foreclosure are more likely to come up in the bankruptcy context. And yes, they could, depending upon the time of the interest where the bankruptcy trustee is representing. If the mortgage or other encumbrance was executed prior to the lease or easement having been executed yes he could probably terminate but by contrast if the lease or easement was executed before the lending or otherwise probably not and instead those interests survive foreclosure.
0: So timing is everything, get your leases recorded and get them recorded early, ideally, or pursue some sort of a legal mitigation, like you mentioned. But timing is everything with respect to leases. And I would add diligence is, you need to understand your landlords, are they over-leveraged? Are they in trouble financially? You need to at least be aware of situations and how that can pose risk to you. Exactly. Richard, you have just co-authored Billboard Insider's Guide to Leases, Easements, and Real Estate, along with Billboard Insider. Why is the time right now for this book, and how will it help out-of-home executives?
1: Well, let me say I certainly appreciate Dave, you, and John Weller asking me to work with you on the preparation of the Billboard Insider's Guides to Leases, Easements, and Real Estate. That's a book that provides the basics on the three ways to host and maintain billboards, leases, easements, and purchasing real estate. Uh, Of course, over the last several years, We've prepared and published on a daily basis containing cases, statutes, and other legal concerns as well as practical pointers and takeaways for operating under each of these three property interests. The book discusses each of those types of interests, again, from a legal and a practical standpoint, and we hope the readers and the listeners on this podcast We'll find it helpful to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's all for this week. Thanks for appearing on the show, Richard. Thank you, Dave. You can purchase your copy of Billboard Insider's Guide to Leases, Easements, and Real Estate by visiting the Billboard Insider website. This podcast was edited by Lucas Jones and sponsored by Circle Graphics. You can listen to episodes of the Billboard Insider podcast by visiting BillboardInsider.com or by subscribing to the Billboard Insider podcast or on iTunes or the usual podcast outlets Our email is billboardinsider at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back in a couple weeks.